Happy Resurrection Day. There is something special when we get to come together on a Sunday morning and to greet one another in a way that we don't often get to greet each other when we celebrate on this day. Could you imagine that moment when they came upon the tomb and the, ro- and the stone was unsealed and rolled away only to catch a glimpse of a sense of an angelic presence, to have him say, because you know what was going on in the mind of the individuals who came to that tomb. Who took him? Where is he? What have you done with his body? And to hear that remarkable statement, he is not here. He is alive. Christians, the reality that he is alive for you and I today gives us the assurance that you and I can not only be freed from our sin, but that we can live a life being sanctified for the holy purposes of God through the power of the resurrected King, Jesus, who now sits on the right hand of the throne of God and will do so forever and ever and ever and ever. And you and I will see it one day. We will see his face We will see the one who had been pierced on our behalf, the one who had shouldered our sin, the one who thought about us while we were sinners and was willing to die for us. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is a good day to celebrate what Jesus has done. Take your Bible this morning, John chapter 11, which is where we're going to be this morning. You know, imagine all of these events, of course, recorded in the gospel stories, four different gospels, uh, and I think that ought to point out to us as Christians the significance and the importance of the, the work of redemption and the work of Christ, where he would give us four separate accounts to help us come to grips with the reality of the resurrection and the power and the life and the work of the Spirit of God. As we back up, and I'm going to back us up in the story when it comes to the resurrection because Jesus made some remarkable statements all throughout his earthly ministry. He would say things, as we had mentioned even on Friday of Good Friday, he would say things like, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, but on the third day I will rise again. You know, in the minds of the disciples, much as as we struggle with in our own minds, they lived in a time period where they heard claims about Jesus. They saw the wonder-working miracles of Jesus who could raise people from the dead. Jesus had done this on two other occasions, when he raised the widow's son at Nain, when he raised Jairus' daughter. They were living in a time where they saw the resurrection power in a way that you and I have never seen. And yet, isn't this baffling in your mind? Out of all the things that they could have seen, that they would still struggle to believe. You and I still live in a time period of the same claims inscripturated in the inspired Gospels and where we too have been given these very same claims that you again and I again will rise one day because of the resurrection of Jesus. And yet, do you not find yourself in the same predicament by saying, but, but how long? And you have to ask yourself the same thing. How strong is my belief 
in the claims that are given to us in the Scripture. In John chapter 11, Jesus is roughly around four weeks away from coming to the last portion of his life where he would, he would be sacrificed on the cross of Calvary for your and I's benefit. And I back up here because Jesus makes a statement often where I find that in the midst of this struggle that we often have in belief and the claims in which he gives, that Jesus makes these incredible I am statements. You remember these in the gospel like, I am the bread of life. And here in this particular passage, when he comes to the raising of Lazarus, he makes another incredible I am statement. Jesus is out ministering, according to John chapter 11, and there was a man, according to verse 1, you can see it there, there was a certain man who was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the, it was the same Mary, he said, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters did what only any logical sister would do because they loved their brother. You could only imagine, it probably only took them about a split second in their mind, like, what are we going to do? And you had heard all of the miracle working power of this one who had come, and they knew him. Jesus was close with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And they said to each other, go get him, go send for him. They finally send for Jesus in verse number four, but when Jesus heard it, he says, this illness does not lead to death. To death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There's something going on here that Jesus wanted to use as an example to teach about who he was and what he had come to accomplish. And even death was not even a factor for Jesus to say, well, even if I get there and he happens to be dead, I can fix that too. You know what that tells us, believers? That our life begins by our spiritual restoration through repentance and reconciliation with Jesus, and death cannot hold us back. This earthly body is just a housing place for the person who you are who will live one day on for eternity. Can I just remind you? Every soul that has ever been, uh, been, 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 uh, been born on the face of this earth from all time will live in one of two places. They will live in eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven forever or their body or their soul will spend an eternity in hell. It is this reality, this harsh understanding, and to realize that it was our sin that brings us to a point where we deserve the punishment of death and separation, but the glory that God had come to reveal, that there was one, there was one who would come and take your sin upon himself he would be pierced on your behalf. He would be bruised for your and I's iniquities. And yet the pain and suffering and heartache of sin, even in the time of Mary and Martha, death, physical death, still brought a level of relational separation that is hard. Perhaps you've been in that circumstance as a son, as a daughter, as a mother, 
or a grandfather, somebody you know who has passed away that was significant to you, where you came and you looked onto their casket at the day of their burial. And yet, as a Christian, you looked on knowing that all you saw was just a shadow of who they once were here on earth, only to realize and walk away from that casket saying something like this, I will see you again. I will see you again. And if you have believers who have passed on before you, let me encourage you, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ assures that you will one day meet them again. They now are enjoying the presence of the living God, and I hate to say it, but I think they're probably not thinking about me. And they're not thinking about us. They're not saying, what are, I wish I could go back. I always think about the story of Lazarus and, and wonder how this all went down because he was dead. And all of a sudden, God said, now nah, we're going to send you back. Like, whoa, 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 I just got here. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I mean, to have to be sent back, to be separated from the body, 1 Corinthians 15 says, to be separated is to be in the presence of God. And yet then the story he would have told and spread of the gospel and of the resurrection power that Jesus made him alive. And I don't think Lazarus came bouncing out of the grave and someone cut those grave clothes off and I don't think Lazarus was thinking to himself, uh, great, I'm here. <laughs> there was something that Lazarus would have also understood that God wanted him to spread that message and there was a reason why he allowed him to come back. Jesus enters close to this particular village where Mary and Martha were in John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Notice what is said here. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when, Mar when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from my God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I, I know she, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Oh, what an amazing affirmation of Martha. Could you imagine for her painful heartache and suffering of loss, and she comes to Jesus, and Jesus is broken. You know, Jesus never enjoys seeing people hurt. Jesus never enjoys saying, you know what? Uh, good, why don't you sit in that pain for a little while and think about it? 
He always comes to restore us to a relationship so that we can see through the suffering. We can see through our sin to realize that there is confession, there is repentance, there is forgiveness that is available. John understood this, and when John wrote the the gospel, he ends, and it's always interesting when the gospel writer kind of unfolds his his hand to, to tell us, why was he writing this gospel? And I think it's remarkable because it's so important for us to realize it. Notice this in John chapter 20. Verse 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You think to yourself, why did he record the story of the raising of Lazarus? There were so many people who had only faintly heard of this Jesus, this wonder, miracle-working man who had now long been gone. And John writes the gospel, and he realizes that many would have to hear these and believe in faith, not having seen him. And so he writes this to say that by believing this, you may have life in his name. As we think about this particular Uh, passage together, I want us to focus on this reality that faith in Jesus' redemptive work and resurrection ensures that you will experience eternal life. Brothers and sisters, we sit together, we sing together, we rejoice together. For what purpose? Could you imagine if all that we did was come to church and celebrate that somehow Uh, You know, Jesus died, but then we don't know if he's alive? I can imagine that extinguishing a level of our worship and praise. Wondering whether that was the case. But it is the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. No one I know here has seen visibly the resurrected Lord. Oh, and those words that Jesus said upon his resurrection to doubting Thomas, when he said to Thomas... Blessed are you, Thomas, who have seen and believed, but blessed are those who have never seen and yet still believe. Christian, your faith and the work of the Spirit's drawing in your life has caused you to come to repentance and faith, to a living hope so that you can rejoice, so that one day, You you and I, when we die and we pass on, and by the way, and we're not known by anyone, and no one even knows our name, they don't even know where you served, they don't even know that you were a, a, a servant in a particular local church of any place at any time. That's not why you live. Why you live is to please him, to glorify him, and on that day, you will be resurrected Therefore, no matter what condition you happen to be in here on earth, death will never hold you back from this presence with the Lord Jesus Christ. Back up for a moment in John chapter 11 and verse 13. Isn't this interesting? It says, now Jesus had spoken of his death to his disciples, but they thought that he had meant that he was taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus, because they didn't seem to understand it, it was very likely, uh, very interesting of the disciples. Like, okay, let's go wake him up. (laughs) Finally, Jesus has to say, no, guys, he's dead. (laughs) 
And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And, and notice this statement in verse 15. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Isn't this remarkable? He's talking to his disciples. How many miracles had these guys seen? How many amazing things had they watched Jesus take a blind man and allow him to see? And a lame man and cause him to walk? They themselves, even at this point, have been sent out and had done some very similar works in his name. And Jesus says to them, I'm glad you're not there. Because there's something special that's about to happen that's for your sake so that you will believe. He says, but let us go. And so they went. And as they encounter Mary in, in chapter 11, verse 21, it's interesting that Mary and Martha both make the same statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. In some sense, Mary and Martha's uh, reality had been shaken and their present hope had been diminished for a moment because their brother, who they loved dearly, had gone. He had gone to be with the Lord. Their present hope was coming to Jesus and it was extinguished and Jesus could see their dejection. And Jesus says to her, do you believe in me? And she says, I know that he will rise again in the last day. Notice this. While her present hope was experiencing difficulty, her future hope was secured. See, Jesus wasn't giving some alternate view that's, that the Jews wouldn't somehow have embraced. The Jews understood that on the last day, it was recorded all throughout the book of John, that on the last day, God would cause a resurrection, and that Lazarus too would one day rise from the dead. But yet it didn't, extinct, it didn't help the present pain that she was experiencing. And so Jesus comments on this particular response with two comments about what needs to, how they need to think about him. And here's statement number one that he gives to Mary. After she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then now Jesus says something remarkable. I am the resurrection and the life. See, was this because somehow Mary and Martha weren't believers? I don't think so. Here you have followers of Jesus Christ who knew him who understood his work, who understood his power. And yet even in their own experience of being freed from their sin and following Jesus Christ and repenting of their sin and watching and hearing the works of Christ, yet there was still a struggle in their own mind. And Jesus says, do you believe? And he says to her, here's what your faith is grounded in. I am the resurrection and the life. This was something so remarkable because it wasn't to simply divert Martha's distraction. I love how one particular commentator uh, describes it. And he says, the concern wasn't to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day. He says it was to a personalized belief in the one who alone can provide eternal life. He was saying, Martha, 
I'm the one. I'm the one who can, who can give back what, what life was there. I can bring it to life again. And if I can do this with the physical body, he's trying to help people realize, and all of these onlookers, because remember, it wasn't just the disciples, it wasn't just Mary and Martha, there had been a whole crowd of people who had come to console the family, which was the custom of the Jews. Weeping. And could you imagine when Jesus says to them, show me where you laid him. And the response was, of course, because he was there four days, and of course, they were pretty good at judging whether someone was alive or dead. So let's give the first century individuals a pretty good understanding. It wasn't he was in a coma, and they just happened to roll it away, and he comes stumbling out. He was dead. They had anointed his body. They had wrapped him in the cloth, filled with ointment, and the statement that is made is telling that he had died. Don't open Don't roll the stone away. Don't open the tomb because his body stinks. And that moment when that smell came out of that grave, everyone would have experienced an undeniable reality that Lazarus was gone. And you've got to think that if you were an onlooker at that moment, you had not seen someone do something or request something like this at a funeral. Do you imagine being at a funeral like this and somebody had closed the casket and somebody walks in and says, no, 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 stop this. <laughs> Open that casket up. I bet all of us would sit there and be like, what is going on? <laughs> what is he going to do? And yet, no doubt, all of these onlookers were there and, and Jesus personalizes this reality to help Martha and Mary focus on this one single truth. You don't have to fear death. I am the resurrection. You will never be at a place in which I cannot reach you. Not only can I bring the physical body back, but I can take a person who is spiritually dead and I can make them alive. Brothers and sisters, that was us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not looking to follow him. Not looking to believe him. Not, looking, not willing to look on the one who would call himself the resurrection and the life. These two parallel statements by John on purpose to say, if, if he is the resurrection, then in life can be found, a life can be found in him alone. This is the only person of any point in history who would ever make such a bold claim. The Pharisees, the Jews who were there, recognized the claim that he was making. Jesus had been making this claim about himself. And Jesus desired for them to understand that, not their, that their present hope could remain and their future hope was secured. And believers, let me tell you this this morning. This is some of the most greatest news that you and I could ever have fall upon our ears. That our sins have been forgiven by the one who took them upon himself, that he died on our behalf, and he has risen from the grave. And he has gone to prepare a place for us. So that where he is, we can go and we can be with him. 
Oh, just imagine, believer, what this place will be like. Beyond your wildest imagination to understand the purity, the holiness, the joy, the worship, the satisfaction, the relationships from all ages who have come together to worship this one. Oh, what we will experience in the millennial kingdom when Jesus sits on the literal throne of King David and it says in the prophets of old, it says they will come from all places of the earth and they will grab the skirt of the Jew and say, take me up to the temple to worship. And who do you think they want to see? They want to see this one who had been pierced on their behalf. It's coming. It's a reality both in our present circumstance and will be and is secured in our future hope. And you know what this statement of the I am, the resurrection, and the life really helps us come to realize, and this is so helpful to us. This life, this life that you're living right now is not the end. It's something you get to experience. It's an opportunity for you to be able to experience the glory of God through the work of Jesus Christ and to live by faith for the moment of time that you have, such a short moment of time, believers. The average person only gets to spend 80, 85 years here on this earth, and yet we don't have to fear death. This is only when death happens Real life is just beginning for the Christian. It's hard for our minds to even comprehend this. And this is why many times the disciples of Jesus and Martha and Mary and so many others would hear statements like this and and be bewildered in their mind. Like, "I, I know you're saying that claim, but I haven't personally experienced it. Through repentance and faith, Jesus says that this physical death is only the thing that is going to keep you from, once you die, you'll spend eternity with Jesus in heaven forever. We don't have to fear whether what goes on in our culture. We don't have to fear how bad it perhaps will ever get. You know, I am amazed and astounded by so many Christians who are persecuted around the world and you read and you hear their stories, people who are being hunted down as we sit here in our freedoms and enjoy basking in the presence of coming to the word, not wondering whether who's going to come and take this away. Those who are in hiding and yet in their hiding, mothers and fathers say to their children, death is not the end. It will only be the beginning. Jesus gives us the hope of eternal life. And they stay there in those rooms, in their mind with pressure. And yet they believe. Jesus comes to this text and says this remarkable statement, I am the resurrection and the life. He gives another statement that is also quite remarkable. Whoever believes in me, even if they are dead, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He's encompassing the whole entire reality. If you're dead, you're okay. If you're alive, 
and then you think you're going to die, you're also going to be okay. So he gets the whole spectrum to say, whatever you think about death, don't worry about it. I've got that all under control. Now look at this promise for a moment. Whoever believes in me, even if they are dead, will live. It's belief. It's faith. And you and I, just like so many who had not seen various things like like Jesus said with Thomas, blessed are those who believe and do not see. Perhaps you're here and you're saying to yourself, I don't know if I believe that. I've got to see it. I've got to touch it. I've got to experience it in order for me to have all my senses be satisfied in such a way so that then, and only then, will I then believe and live by faith. Here's the problem. is that Romans 3 says, there is none who does good, not even one. There is none who follows after God. You will never wake up one day and think, you know what, that Jesus guy, I think I'll follow him today. And if you do wake up saying that, it wasn't because of you. Because John 6.44 says, all that the Father, the Father, all that has been given to him are those who have been drawn by the Spirit. Even the initial work of salvation, even the drawing of you to a saving faith, all of it belongs to the Lord. Which means, in alternative, he gets all the glory for everything. Believers, we don't deserve any of it. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the one upon whose shoulders had taken all of our sin. But notice this promise. If you're here and you don't believe this, you can have it. This can be yours today. You can go away from a, resu- from a resurrection Sunday on April 9th, 2023, and you can walk out of here. You had come in spiritually dead, and you can walk out spiritually alive. Knowing that death is only the the end of this earthly life, but that you will live in heaven forever, for eternity. And you won't be there alone. You will be there with countless brothers and sisters who have gone before you, who too have believed. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And it's We're always really careful, aren't we, to never say never, but Jesus can say it. You will never die. You will spend eternity and age upon age in the future, relishing in the relationship that was bought for you on the cross and the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Your future hope is all in one person, the one person who defeated death. And then it, he, he ends with this statement, which is quite remarkable, which i just astounded at. Mar- Martha, do you believe this? 
In John eleven twenty six, when he says those words, and then she affirms in verse 27 by saying this statement, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Everyone there on that day at the raising of Lazarus was faith with one particular choice, as you and I are faced with this morning, to believe or to reject Jesus' claim. There's really only two options. If you walk out of here this morning and you say, ah, I'm just going to think about it for a while. In some sense, you're struggling with embracing and believing what Jesus said was true. And if you were to die at that particular moment, dead in your trespasses and sins, and you stood before the resurrected king on judgment day, he will say to you, depart from me because I don't know who you are. Your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life. But for those who believe, he will open these gates and he will say, welcome home. Welcome home to eternal paradise with me. A place where there is no tears, a place where there is no heartache, a place where there is no sin. Where you can enjoy me for all eternity. See, the resurrection secures as a result both saving grace and sustaining grace. This is really good news for us as as Christians, by the way. Because Martha was still a believer, and she struggled in belief, and I can only imagine if any of you are any bit like me, that there's a sense in which when you come to the things in the scripture, there's a struggle sometimes to believe and to act in faith, and to trust in the very things that he's told you to do, that they're for your benefit, that they're for his glory. But he saves us and sustains us. Both are secured at the resurrection. So much to the point that you don't just get saved and then say, whew, now i got to go and do a bunch of these works because i got to keep myself there. Could you imagine that? And yet, in Galatians 3, Paul reminds the Galatian believers of this very truth. Have you begun in the Spirit, but now believe that you're going to be perfect? perfected in the flesh. Believer, all that you do and all of who you are is a result of Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And is all a result that he drew you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He saved you and now he's sustaining you. Oh, this is so good because guess what? If you have repented of your, of your sins and you have been found in Jesus Christ, do you know what happens for you now? No one can take you out of Jesus' hand. All that that has been given to the Father, no man is strong enough to take him out of that, and that includes you taking you out of it. Because so often when you and I, we struggle with sin, we think to ourselves the immediate thought, this question, and I know we, we, we wrestle with it. Oh, I don't, I don't believe that I, I'm worthy. I don't believe that I'm good enough to be here. You never were. And neither was I. That's what grace is. 
It's you and I getting something we don't even deserve at all and coming and bowing down. You know, the only thing that he tells us to do is repent and believe. And it's out of that repentance and belief that now we do good works. Is it to keep us saved or is it to get us saved? No. It's a life that is lived out of extreme appreciation and thanksgiving that this one would take someone as unworthy as you and as worthy, unworthy as me and he would use you in the lives of other people to spread what? This truth. Jesus alone is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in this can be saved. Acts 4.12 says that there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, that eats away at all kinds of religious thoughts and all kinds of religious dispositions. People who grew up in a variety of circumstances where all of a sudden religious tradition on various occasions have even become greater than the truth itself. See, the church fathers and the church tradition, whatever it was, when people will say to me as a pastor, as I hear something, and they say to me, well, I've always believed. My response is, that's impossible. (laughs) Because you don't come out of the womb believing. Which means there's a point that you had to turn from your sin and you had to turn to the living Savior who is the resurrection and the life and you fell down before him and said, I am a sinner and you confessed your sin. And at that point, you became adopted into the family of the living God. You have been given this precious gift of righteousness that you didn't earn, but that Jesus earned and gave to you as a free gift. And he placed it on your account so that you would never have to wonder again whether you will ever enter into the gates of heaven. Because it's not on you. It's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on your works. And so many Christians, by the way, get tripped up after they're they're saved because they really figure out that they have to muster up all this Christian energy because it's on me. See, if you're not doing it, if you believe it's on you, then it's likely not for him. Then it's for yourself. You are raised to life for his purposes and his alone, so that you and I could be examples and a testimony of the fact that he is coming. This saving grace is recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, it's of first importance that I receive that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. You wonder why we started our service out with, turn in your Bible, (laughs) It's because it's the scriptures alone that bring truth. It's not any other particular book. It's not some historical document. It's not the Quran. It's not any other uh, a set of beliefs in the world. When a Christian comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, here's what they do. They deny everything else and they embrace this one single truth. I can often remember when I was in Haiti and I was giving the gospel to to various Haitian individuals who were inquisitive about the gospel. And everything seemed to go really good 
Because you hear all these stories where hundreds of people had come to the gospel, but oftentimes they're not brought to a point of conclusion. And I would often say to these Haitian, uh, these Haitian individuals, now, here's what this means. Do you know what this means? I would ask them. They say, kind of. I said, here's what this means. Everything that you previously believed, all the voodoo, all the other mysticism, all of that is wrong. And only this is right. And only Jesus can save you. And at that particular point, many of them would say, oh, oh, we can, we can bring him with the other ones but not make him exclusive. See, repentance in faith is making Jesus the only exclusive individual who is the resurrection and the life. Jesus was not a prophet. He was the Messiah that was foretold in the Old Testament. And that's why Mary would say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world, the one who has been promised. He gives you sustaining grace. Don't you love this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, that John would say these words in a later epistle. In a later letter, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. What that tells me is even as you and I struggle here on this earth with continuing to grow in our sanctification, that we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to live in separation because of the barrier that our sin puts between us and God. We can, we can go to 1 John 1, 9 that says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he will forgive us our sin. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Believers, I don't know where you are or what you've been doing or how you've been living, but if it's not according to what God says, you have this precious truth that you don't have to wait any longer to be restored in your walk with God. And you can walk out of here this morning recommitting yourself to say, I believe in Jesus, the resurrection and the life, and I will choose to live for him day by day by day, even when it's hard. And I'll confess my sin the moment he makes me aware of it. And when you do that, believers, you maintain that you enjoy the maintaining of that relationship because of the confession and the forgiveness that is brought by Jesus Christ and offered to you freely. We, you and I, we have an advocate. And if you're here and you're stuck in a particular sin, you don't have to be stuck there any longer. You can go away, you can confess it to the Lord, and you can walk away freed. You can have that same, you can have a similar experience to when you were freed initially from your sins. You get that ongoing pleasure as a believer and man, do I enjoy it every week because I need it so bad. I don't know where I would be if I couldn't go every single time to him. Very interesting, the result of this story. Some believed. Martha believed. Mary believed. I'm pretty sure Lazarus believed. And there were Jews who were standing alongside of this in John chapter 11, verse 45, it says that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is what Jesus was saying. I'm going to go, 
and I'm going to show you something incredible. And as a result of what Jesus did and what they witnessed that day, Jesus was embraced by so many. And yet, while some believed, others did not. Can I just speak to you for a moment if you're here and you haven't believed? What's keeping you from that? What's keeping you from right now confessing your sin and turning to Jesus Christ who is the resurrection and the life? So many times people refuse or wait longer than they should or they use excuses in their own mind that seem to make sense. They'll say things to themselves like, but I don't know why he would have me live the kind of life he had me live. It seems like everything has gone wrong. Why would I turn to a God who's allowed all of this bad stuff to happen? I don't want to go to him. You know, people use that as an excuse. They blame God for the life that that they wish they could live. And yet Jesus stands before them saying, I am the resurrection and the life. If you'd follow me, then your eyes would be open and you would see that this life is not about freedom from suffering alone or freedom from heartache, that it's about him. Don't let that stop you. So often people... Harbor anger in their own heart because God, they'll say, and I've heard it for many years, people say, God took this away from me. He took this person. He took this circumstance. He took this job. Why would he do that? I can't follow him. Don't let your own bitterness against the Lord be the thing that harbors rebellion and distrust in your heart. When Jesus stands before you this morning, willing to save your soul based upon whether you will confess and realize he's, he's done nothing to hurt you but has done everything to save you. Perhaps you don't want to come to him today because I've also heard this. I just don't want to stop enjoying the life that I'm living. I like going out and partying. I like hanging out with these people. I like talking and going and being and and, and doing what I'm doing. And if, if I get saved, it's like he's just going to take all that away. And like, I almost get this picture sometimes of unbelievers. They think, well, I mean, if I get saved, like all my joy, it's gone. Like, I know believers, and you know believers. Is their joy gone? Or is it, is it, or is it enhanced to a level that they never dreamed of? I would argue that it is enhanced in a way and it gives you purpose and meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction in a way that you can't see right now. I beg you, come to Jesus Christ this morning. Confess your sin. Repent and trust in Jesus by faith. People will often say, well, what is that? I'm just hearing this word repentance for the first time. Repentance is this really crucial term that means a turning from. I always describe it to people. It's like, you got to make a U-turn. You are headed one direction, but when you, re- you return and you repent of your sin, you turn and you follow Jesus Christ, and you don't look back because no one else can save you. You repent and you confess your sins and you say to him, and perhaps this is you and you need to say it to him, Jesus Christ I'm a sinner. There's no possible way that I could save my own soul. 
I confess that there's no way possible that, any, that I could ever enter eternal life. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. The one sent from God who died, who was buried, and he was resurrected so that I could live. And I believe it all. And would you please save me from myself and my sin? You can pray that prayer, and it's not magic words. It's the genuine belief in your heart that you believe what Jesus said in the Bible. And when you believe it, you're freed from your sin for eternity. What if you're here and you're, and you're a believer? The question still remains. Do you trust him and do you believe him enough that when you go to the Bible and he says, don't do this, but do this instead, don't follow these things, don't have these desires, don't search after these passions, do you believe that he has the best in mind for you so that you will continue to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus each and every day until face to face you and I see the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't be one who comes and when he's asked, do we believe? Don't be one who all of a sudden would say, I reject him. Notice this verse in Titus chapter 3. It says, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, by, that being justified by his grace, not by good works, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Believers, if you've turned from your sin, you've repented, and, you, and you've turned by faith to Jesus Christ for the saving of your soul, you have the hope of eternal life. Nobody can take that away from you. He says, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Christians, we ought to be known as a people of good works, not to get us saved, so that unbelievers would ask, why are you so kind? Oh, let me tell you. Oh, let me tell you of this person who changed who I was. What you see today is not what you, want, what I, what you would once have seen. He took me dead in my sins, and he poured out on me and gave me freely the righteousness and covered me in righteousness so that when the Father looks at me, he can say, I'm accepted, that his wrath is not against me. And I don't know about you, but I'm quite excited about not having wrath against me. I would like to live every day from this day forward, from the time that I was saved as a young boy, I've been able to enjoy the freedom and the enjoyment of not waking up with the pressure that this almighty God's wrath is against me because of the sin that I've committed. He freed me, and he can free you because he is the resurrection and the life. Don't reject him. Some did, and there will be a point 
where if you reject him and you continue to persist in your unbelief, there will be a day when Jesus comes back where you will be lost. Believers, share this resurrection message that he is the resurrection and the life with all those you know who don't believe. Let us be people who go out and say, I've got to go tell this to someone. Don't be all excited about the resurrection and then it's extinguished by the time you leave here, okay? You've got to have it sustained so that you see the purpose that you now have. And it's not to make money, it's not to be happy, it's not to living a pain-free life, it is about him and him alone. Don't reject him. This is why Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe it? And will you go out and live it? And trust him that he is the resurrection and the life. This is the joy and the security and the satisfaction that you and I get the privilege to live with for the rest of our earthly days, knowing that when these days come to an end, it's only going to get better for us. We may suffer for a little while, we may have heartache for a little while, but there will be a day where we meet him face to face and we will have the opportunity to say in person, Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. I don't deserve to be here, but you saved me, and I am forever indebted to you for what you've done. Let's pray this morning. Father, oh, these glorious truths of the resurrection. Oh, that, even that we would get a glimpse in the story of the raising of Lazarus from Jesus' statement to Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, and that we don't have to question where our salvation comes from and who it's sustained by. It's you. And forever we have the promise that we, if absent from this body, we will be present with the living, resurrected, exalted Savior who sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Father, thank you for this remarkable plan. Spirit, thank you for indwelling us and sealing us by your work, by calling us to be elected children of the living God. Thank you for what you've done. Help us to celebrate this even now as we sing. In your name we pray, amen.